Tonight, I want to talk to you about how patience works in the real world. Um, This is a very important and a very grown-up and mature concept for us to be dealing with. And I can assure you, living close to Atlanta, Georgia, you're going to need this message (laughs) at some point. How patience works in the real world. Um, Now, not only do we have Interstate 85 to deal with, now we've got the guy who poured concrete underneath Interstate 20, and it buckled up. So it's like, hold on, I-75, you're our only hope. You know, <laughs> one guy said, I fully expect to come to work next, the next day or two and, and find out that a wormhole has opened up on, on Interstate 75. And I thought, man, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. So I want to talk about patience. A little later on, we'll have time for some Q&A and commentary how patience works in the real world. Now, before I, before I get into this, and I, I don't want to spend too much time prefacing what I'm going to say. It irritates me when people do that, so I'll try not to do it too much. It's like these guys on YouTube. You ever watch a YouTube video and the guy's going to do something, and he just spends forever talking about doing the thing, but he never does the thing? I just want to throw my iPad through the wall. I just can't stand it. But I, I do want to say a couple of things about application. It is not how much we know about the Bible that's going to really benefit us in this life. It is how much of what we know we actually apply to our lives. It is, it is the application that makes the difference. Uh, I, don't wanna, I'm, I would never speak ill of the dead. I love my brother J.R. Gould. You know, he, he has gone on to be with the Lord. But I took J.R. He, he actually took me trout fishing to the San Juan River the first time I went there, which is in northern New Mexico, it is one of the top ten fly fishing streams on the planet. An average trout there is a trophy almost anywhere else. And I had, I had done a little practice trying to learn how to fly fish from another, for another reason. And once I got to the San Juan, I realized how much more I needed to practice. So I went home and got out in the yard, and I just started practicing and practicing and practicing. I got to where I could cast pretty good. And then I started working on mending. I started working on hook casting, throw around a rock and stuff like that. And over the years, and this was, this was back in the early, uh, the early well, late 1980s, uh, early 1990s, so 20, 30 years you know, ago. So through all that time, I've gotten fairly decent at fly fishing. Uh, I really enjoy it, and I like it. J.R., I love him. God bless his heart, one of my best friends in the world. But he could never cast f- past about from here to that fire extinguisher. That was the length. That's as far as J.R. is going to cast the fly. And you, you, really, you really can't catch trout unless you can cast further than that, just being honest with you. You may catch some, but you're not going to catch them. You need to be able to cast about twice that far. So the reason is that J.R. would, he's so used to fishing with a, something weighted that pull the line off the reel. With a fly line, fly rod, you're actually pushing the line off the reel with the rod. And you can throw further with nothing on the line than any other way. And J.R. Couldn't, couldn't understand that on the back cast, you didn't break your wrist. You kept your wrist straight, and then you pushed. He always broke his wrist, and that made a big casting loop, and that took all his power out. So he could, he could never quite, quite get that. He, he, he understood it, but he could not somehow apply it to the cast. So application, to me, is the very nexus. It's the very crux of Christian growth, and maturity especially. We can know everything the Bible says, but none of it's going to benefit us until we actually apply it to our lives 
outside the church walls. Application is the key to your personal development as a Christian. So with that, let's get into it. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19, 11. Proverbs 25, 15, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. And of course, you know, uh, in the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Galatians chapter 5, 22, patience. Love, joy, peace, patience. Patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the most important attributes a person can possess. One of the key differentiating elements between immaturity and maturity is patience. Um, I think impatience is a, is a classical earmark of self-will. It's, I know that's, that's kind of a convoluted thought process to get there, but I'm convinced that's accurate. It's like knowing the answer to a mathematical problem but not knowing how to arrive at that answer. I know that, that uh, impatience has to do with self-will because our attention and focus is just too important to us to put it where we want it rather than to be patient with it. I think to be patient with the process of learning is one of the most important things that there is in your life, especially when it seems that you're going to be overwhelmed. Um, I'll give you an example. A survival in bushcraft. I've, I've made it a point in my life to learn these skills. I don't know everything there is to know about survival or bushcraft. Nobody does. But I, I know enough to survive for the rest of my life in the wilderness with nothing but a knife. There's no question about it. I can do that. Um, I watched this show alone. It's, the most, it's probably the closest thing to a real survival show outside naked and afraid, but I don't want to watch people's booties, so I just don't watch that. But uh, <laughs> alone, you ought to watch this on the History Channel. Ten people go out into the wilderness, and they're separated. They're all alone. They don't even have a camera crew with them. They have to film themselves. They're allowed to take ten items of their choosing along with some basic things that they allow them to take. But it's not a true survival show. And the reason it's not is that they have to obey all the game laws. This last one was in Patagonia. And this deer walked up into the woman's camp. And she couldn't shoot the deer because it wasn't deer season in Patagonia. Roland is shooting the deer. Roland is cooking the deer. Roland's going to eat good for like two months off Mr. Deer. You know, that's survival. But the point of that is it took me a long time to sit there and dig through the process because uh, there's so much on the, on the internet alone about survival. And there's so many books and so many different takes on things just to figure out what really does work and what really doesn't work. I mean, it, it took a long time for me just to figure out where to put the notch on a bow drill hearth board. I mean, it, it took me hours just to figure that out and trial and error to figure that out. I was patient with the process. We've got to learn to be patient with, with learning and with, with instruction, with wisdom. So a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. Patience gives us the ability to persuade. And that's important in our walk with God in terms of how we evangelize and how we reach people. You want to be persuasive? You want to learn Donald Trump's, the art of President Donald Trump's, the art of the deal? Well, patience is a key element in that. Diplomacy requires patience. Negotiation requires patience. So we've got to be patient. So I've got seven or eight points I want to give you very briefly, and then we'll have a, a little Q&A and discussion time. Point number one, 
Patience is the willful decision. And that's what patience is. It is a choice. It is a willful decision to wait for a desired outcome over a longer span of time than anticipated. That's what patience is. That's a good working definition of it. Patience is the willful decision to wait for a desired outcome over a longer span of time than anticipated. That's something we choose to do. Uh, The more mature you are, the more you understand the importance of patience in a given situation. And different situations require different densities of patience. Different scenarios require different kinds of patience. There's patience with God. There's patience with yourself. There's patience with your children. There's patience with the process. There's patience in uh, the timing of God. There's patience with promotion. There's all kinds of different scenarios in life, but the same root of patience, being willing to wait for a desired outcome longer than you thought you might have to, that's one of the keys to being successful in life. So patience, again, one more time, is the willful decision to wait for a desired outcome over a longer span of time than anticipated. A couple of thoughts here about desired outcomes that are very important. Make sure that your desired outcomes that you're hoping for and working toward are reasonably tempered, tempered with wisdom, reasonably wrought. We can have a desired outcome that's, that's just unrealistic, and it's only going to breed disappointment in us. And you can be patient all you want. And it may never come to pass. I'll give you an example. Um, play in the lottery. I'm not saying it's a sin. It's nothing but a glorified raffle to me. But people who really get caught up and they fantasize about winning the lottery. I mean, hey, we've all fantasized about winning a bunch of money or inheriting a bunch of money. Not a sin. But when you, when you not the lottery. I'm not talking about the lottery. I'm not something like that. When you just have a fantasy, basically, that, and, and, you know, it might come to pass. Some guy here in Georgia found out years ago that he was a, a direct, down-the-line descendant from J.P. Morgan. He called and checked on it. A lawyer got in touch with him, and he inherited about $11 million just because he was, a, like, a far removed, but down the line, you know, J.P. Morgan. Of course, J.P. Morgan is one of the richest men that ever lived, even today, back in the day. He had billions of dollars when there was no such thing as billions of dollars. So patience and the willingness to wait manifest itself in different directionalities in our lives and through a variety of different situations, circumstances, and relationships. One of the most difficult to me kinds of patience is to be patient in a relationship and to let it move forward like it's supposed to. But it's important that we learn this. Uh, desired outcomes. When, when our desired outcome is more important to us than our personal growth, then we have gotten things out of kilter. I, I'm just going to hit pause right now. I'm going to tell you something. I want you to listen to this. Okay? This has got nothing to do with this message. This is just something I feel led to tell you. So stop a minute and listen to your pastor. I think a lot of the things that we look at and the goals we set and the desired outcomes, the dreams, the aspirations, the things we want to accomplish in life, 
I think God looks at those goals and dreams and accomplishments that we want to achieve. And I think he sometimes just shakes his head. Because I don't think God's focused on that at all. You know what I think God's focused on? How we in here are responding to all the things that happen to us. We're focused on the dream, the vision, the goal. And God's up there going, son, I can make that happen anytime I get ready to make that happen. I'm looking at how you are responding to all the things that are happening around you. God is much more concerned with what's going on within us than what we are aspiring to achieve outside us. So, our desired outcome should always first be personal growth in God. And in that vein, we've got to learn to be patient with ourselves and patient with the process of maturity and growth. So, patience, the willful decision to wait. Number two, faith is the medium in which patience grows. We can have patience when we have faith. We can have patience when we know, when we're certain, when we're positive, when we're sure that things are going to happen. I talked about the San Juan River. Let me go back to that. I love to go fly fish the San Juan River because I know for a fact that I'm going to catch trophy trout every day. There's just no, not because I'm a great fisherman, anybody and everybody on that stream is going to catch trophy trout every day. If you know anything at all about fly fishing, you're going to catch trophy trout. The other good thing is you can see them. You wade out in the water in your waders and the, the green clear water, and you see these arm length trout just all around you, just swimming. I mean, there's thousands of them in the river. You know you're going to catch them. All you got to figure out is the fly they're biting and how to present it, and you're going to catch them. I've never been to the San Juan River and not caught a fish, not caught a trophy trout. Not one time, not one day, not ever, always. And so, so when you go through a time that nothing's biting and all the trout have just sounded for a while, you're willing to keep fishing. You're willing to be patient because you know those fish are in that water. I'm looking at them right there. I could hit that one in the head. I could catch that one if I wanted to. If I had a spear, ha, we're eating tonight, you know. You know they're there. You can have great patience. It's amazing how many casts you can make on the San Juan River because you know that the payoff is coming sooner or later. So it is faith that makes our patience work. Faith is the, the standard plate count auger from which the seedlings of patience grows. Faith is the medium in which it grows. What does the Bible say about faith? Hebrews 11, now faith is being what? Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Now, now it doesn't say much about belief there. Everybody thinks faith is believing, and it is. But real faith that reaches to miracles is more than just believing. Everybody knows that faith is trusting God, and it is. No question, faith has all through it woven the threads of trust. But real miracle-working faith is more than trust or belief, it is certainty. Now, this gets tricky because sometimes our faith is certain and sure, and then at the end of the day, God will say, no. That's where even more mature faith comes in. Our certainty and our surety can't always be in the outcome we desired. That will be, then here we go back to desired outcomes. Our certainty and our surety has to be in the wisdom of God to answer the prayer in a way that's going to be best for us. And that's what we need to start praying. 
that God would you know, pray for the desired outcome, ask God to heal the sick, but deeper than that, trust him and believe and know for sure and for certain that he has our best interest at heart. That is a greater measure of faith. Faith is the medium in which patience grows. When you have faith, I mean, all, how many of you went to work today? Why did you go? Why'd you go? Money. How many of you have faith that when payday comes, you're going to get a check? That's why you went to work. Faith is the seedbed in which patience grows. You're patient to wait for two weeks or one week or however long you wait, and you work all that time because you have faith. At the end of the day, I'm going to get a paycheck. See how that operates? Faith and patience work together. If you weren't sure you were going to get a paycheck, you wouldn't be near so patient to go to work every day, especially if you live here and work in Lawrenceville. Number three, real patience. Now listen to this one. This is grown-up stuff. Real patience is not anxious, worried, or stressed. Real patience is steadfast and sure. I personally don't believe it's patience when we're waiting for something anxiously. Because the anxiety and the anxiousness is always going to outpace the patience. I don't think it's patience when we wait for something, but we're wringing our hands and stressed and got a crease in our forehead about it. I don't think there's much, much patience in that. I think real patience is not anxious, it's not worried, it's not stressed, it's steadfast, and it is sure. Because real patience enables us to be at peace. Because peace is a byproduct of faith. Always remember that. If you have faith, you're going to be at peace. If you have faith and peace, you can operate in patience. You can wait. You can chill. You can be all right. So real patience is not anxious, worried, or stressed. Real patience is steadfast and sure. I found my old uh, walking staff somebody gave me years and years ago. I think this goes all the way back to 1986, 1987, somewhere along, somewhere along in there. This is made out of dogwood. And this staff has in it an inherent error. It is, it is built with an error built into it. And I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I could never walk through the woods with this staff in peace because this staff is not made correctly. And I'll, I'll, I'll teach this in the bushcraft and, and uh, survival class I'm going to do at the men's camp out. When you, when you cut a walking staff that's not a cane, in other words, it's not cut down here for you to put your hand on, and this part's gone. It's a walking staff like this. It should never be shorter than the top of your head. Because if you fall, now you put your eye out, or you've broken your nose, or you've knocked your teeth out. If you trip and fall, if this is up here and I trip and fall, I'm just going to slide by it. So you never cut a staff to walk with that's shorter than the top of your head. Basic 101 bushcraft safety, all right? And I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing how many people, once you get out of an environment like this, get out around a campsite, it's amazing how many people hurt themselves. It is amazing. It's amazing how many times I've hurt myself having done stuff like this since I was five years old. And I still end up cutting myself with a knife and, and hitting myself in the head and, and getting splinters in my fingers. And I know better. I know, I know exactly how to avoid all that stuff. But we get careless. 
and we think, ah, it's just a stick. It ain't going to hurt me until you fall on it and, and it pushes your nose up inside your head. You know, you got to be careful. So there's, a, there's no peace with this staff. You got to walk out here with it. It's better, maybe better than no staff if you're in, if you're in coyote country or something like that. But this is not an ideal staff. So there's not going to be peace because you know if I fall down, this is going to knock my tooth out or bust my nose or put my eye out. So, <clears throat> and if it's got a point on it of any kind, if it's stuck in your neck, it'd kill you. So you've got to think about these things and make sure that what you provide for yourself brings you peace. Listen, don't bring things into your life that build into them stress. Don't bring things into your life that just create anxiety for you. Don't, don't hang around stuff that just has built-in vexation like this. Make sure the things that you bring into your life bring you peace. They're secure. They're steadfast. They're safe. There's peace in it. There's joy in it. You can have patience when you, when you operate that way. So faith is the medium in which patience grows. And real patience is not anxious, worried, or stressed. Real patience is steadfast and sure. Next, patience understands that the payoff is worth the time. The reason that we can hang out, the reason that we can outlast our circumstances, the reason that we can wait a long time is that we've come to the place where we understand that what we're waiting for, the payoff, is worth the time we're going to spend waiting for it. It's like the, it's like the, the young couple that, that get engaged. They're in love, and they've been dating for, let's just fantasize, two years. People nowadays date three weeks, but they, they've, been, they've been dating for two years. They realize they're in love, it's God, all these things are wonderful, and they've kept themselves pure and chaste, you know, a little hand-holding, a little kiss, a little, little snuggle, but, but no sex, just kept themselves pure. And they decide, well, we're going to get married. So they set a date, they set a wedding day. And man, they're so eager, it's seven months into the future, which is really not long enough to plan a wedding, but anyway, they set it out there, seven months, we're going to get married. Man, they're so eager. They're so anxious. They just can't wait. Seems like that's the longest seven months in the world. But they can wait, and the reason they can wait is they know that the payoff of being able to be together for the rest of their lives is going to be worth it. When the payoff we're waiting for is big enough for us, when it's something we really long for, it enables us to be patient in the process and to wait. You know, the Bible is full of stories about patience. One of the great ones is Jacob and Rachel. You know, Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. And then the, the man changed his mind. The father changed his mind and said, No, nah, you can't marry Rachel. You have to marry Leah first. But if you marry Leah, then I'll let you marry Rachel not long after. And then you can work seven more years to pay her off, you know. So Jacob said, all right, you got a deal. And so he married Leah. And then I thought it was seven years later, but it really wasn't. It was a short time after he married Rachel, and then he worked seven more years to pay for her. So that's patience, you know. Caleb, the greatest example of patience in the whole Bible, maybe outside Job. Caleb was 40 years old when they went into the promised land. And Moses said to Caleb, you can have the hill country. You can have the hill country. But Caleb was 85 before he finally got to go take the hill country. He waited 45 years. That's patience. You know how he could wait that long? 
He had the wisdom, he had the faith, and he had the understanding that when he finally went up there and took the mountains, they were going to belong to him. The payoff was going to be worth it because he was going to own all the mountains of Hebron. And he did, 45 years after the fact. Patience understands that the payoff is worth the time. What is it that you're waiting on? What is it that you're having to be patient with? Is it your growth in God? Is it a job opportunity? Is it retirement? Is it to get accepted to a college? Is it some kind of contract? Is it a relationship? Is it economics? What is it? I can assure you, if you will be patient, if you will trust God when the times seem lean, if you will trust God when your dream seems far, far away, if you will trust God in the now, the payoff will be worth it. And I'll tell you something else about patience, and it ought not be this way, but it is this way. It seems like the longer we have to wait on something, the sweeter it is when we get it. It just does. So the payoff is worth the wait. Just be patient. And again, patience pretty much is a decision. The Holy Spirit works it in us. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. But what is a fruit? A fruit is outward evidence of inward work. As the Holy Spirit works in us, patience is produced in, as fruit in our lives. So, the next one is, patience is the fruit of spiritual maturity. You will never meet a spiritually, a truly spiritually mature person who is, who is really mature, but they're also impatient. Oh, you're never going to do that. No matter what it is. And I mean, this, is, this patience thing is, is like a set of glasses that you wear. And everywhere you look, you see through the same lens. It's not, it's not something like, like a flashlight. You go through life and you think, oh, wow, now I need patience. So you cut the flashlight on and you shine it there for a while. You know, that's not like that. Patience is a character trait. That means it's part of who you are. It's the way you deal with life. It's the way you process things. To some people, the enemy of patience is a short fuse, a bad temper. You'll never meet a spiritually mature person who has a bad temper. If you've got a bad temper, it's because the Holy Spirit has not worked and matured you to the point where you've conquered that. Because a bad temper is flesh. But patience, that's the Spirit of God working in your life. When you decide, I want to do this, process this, walk through this in a way that glorifies God, and it's really not about me, it's not about my feelings, my preferences, my demands, my rights, winning or losing, it's just about glorifying God. When you can operate that way, then patience comes in your life. I've had people say, well, I can't help myself, it's me Irish temper. No, it's not. It's your flesh. Well, you know, I'm Italian, and you as Italians, we have a bad temper. It's your flesh, my friend. That's what it is. When God gets to working in you, he matures you, and you grow out of that. And I tell you what, we've all dealt. I know I have. I had one of the worst tempers anybody's ever had. But the more I got close to God, the longer I served Him, the more I dug into the Word, the more I realized the temper thing is pretty much about my choice. I was driving in Atlanta traffic the other day. I say driving, I was stopping and waiting and moving forward inches at a time. And 
this trucker, 18-wheeler beside me, just decides he wants to come over where, where I am. So I decide, you know what? He needs to get over here. We're not that far from the on-ramp. So I just stopped, and I waited till the traffic creeped by, and I flashed my lights at him, and he pulled over. He didn't say thank you. He didn't give me a wave. He didn't hit his flashers. He didn't let me know anything about him appreciating me. Not long after that, I'm driving down the road, and I'm getting ready to get on an on-ramp, and this dude comes flying around me. You know, he, he's going to pass me, and he's going to cut in front of me. And, you know, it wasn't anger. It was just lesson time. You know, you don't have to be angry to teach somebody a lesson. It was lesson time. So I just hit the accelerator and sped up. And he had to stop before he hit the divider in the highway. And he had to wait for about 87 cars to come by. And I, I was just like thinking, lesson time. And I was apart. It's like the old Shake and Bake commercials. It's Shake and Bake, and I helped. <laughs> it's lesson time, and I helped. I wasn't angry with the guy. I didn't have a flash. If I'd have had a photon torpedo button or a phaser button, and I could have blasted him into a million atoms, I wouldn't have done it. It wasn't about that. It wasn't anger. It was just like, no, 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 no. Somebody's got to teach you. You've been doing this all your life. You've been running up here to this thing and cutting in front of everybody. You're not doing that to me, not today. <laughs> no, he had to stop. I mean, he had to dead stop and just sit there and wait. And he deserved it. And I was so happy that I was able to oblige him with something that he earned. So being patient means that when, I'm going to ask you something. Don't, don't answer. Don't say anything. Just think about this. You're in Atlanta traffic. You, somehow you got trapped on the downtown connector right where, and you're coming south, right where 85 and 75 come together. You're just there. And it's wall-to-wall traffic in both directions. You're just stuck. Nobody's moving. Nobody's doing anything. It's hot. You know, your air conditioner doesn't work as good when you're sitting there parked. So it's a little uncomfortable in the car. You've got places to be. You've been working all day. You're trying to get home, and you're just parked. Let me ask you something. What good does it do to keep talking about how miserable your circumstance is, to keep slapping the steering wheel, to keep griping about it, to keep fussing at people, you just work yourself up. Most of the issues that we experience in life, I believe we brew them up inside our own selves by what we say and think. There's a much better approach. Just decide because patience is a choice. Just decide. You know what? I'm here. I don't have a levitating car. I don't have a hella car. I can't, can't do that. I'm just here. It's like Brother E.B. Hill said about going to hell. He said, you know, one of the main reasons I'm glad I'm saved is I ain't going to hell. He said, man, when you go to hell, there ain't no get-out-of-hell-free card, ain't no weekend pass, ain't no 30-day furlough. You go to hell, you are there. You get in Atlanta traffic like that, you are there. So the best thing to do is just sit there and decide, I'm going to make the most out of this. Find something you love on the radio. If you can't find something you love on the radio, get your smartphone and punch up a godly podcast and listen to the Word of God in that. I've done that many times. I know that sounds so super preacher spiritual, but it's good medicine for you. It's hard to get mad and fume and cuss and scream and shoot people the bird when you listen to Joyce Meyer talk about love and forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? Find somebody that knows how to preach the Word on a podcast and listen to them. 
Put in some music that you love and listen to it. Call somebody that you love and talk to them. Make the best use of the situation you find yourself in and don't allow frustration to brew inside you. You know what that's called? Wisdom. And what did the Proverbs say? A person's wisdom yields patience because we understand how to navigate through vexing and irritating circumstances in our lives. So, patience is the fruit of spiritual maturity. Next, patience makes good use of time, even time spent waiting. It's funny how I just kind of led into that with the, with the traffic analogy. L- listen to this because it's important. Patience doesn't have to be a passive activity. Patience can be a very active and aggressive thing that you engage in. Because while you're waiting for one thing, why not use that time to work on other things? The Bible says, redeem the times. Make the most use of the time, the best use of the time that you have. Patience makes good use of time, even time spent waiting. Now, I have a big philosophy difference with some people in corporate America. Some people in corporate America uh, believe the way my dad's boss man believed the first job he had away from home. My dad worked a farm. He was a sharecropper. And when he was 17 years old, he, uh, he decided he was going to leave home, not, not run off, but just stop working on the farm and go get a job. He, he said, I'd, I'd walk behind a mule and that's what daddy did. He walked, plowed with a mule. I'll walk behind a mule enough. I'm going to get a job. So he decided at 17 that the first place that hires me, I'm going to work there. And I'm going to work there until I don't want to work there anymore. So he went in, into a town called King Street, South Carolina. And he started at one end of town on Main Street, walked all the way through town, applying in jobs everywhere he went. And one of the last places he stopped at was at the time called F.W. Thomas Motor Company. And it was a Ford dealership in King Street. And Mr. F.W. Thomas talked to my dad for a few minutes, and he liked what dad said. So he said, all right, I'll hire you. He said, you go back there work in the body shop, you start being the sweep boy and the cleanup boy, and you start just doing whatever they tell you. And he said, look, and this is what F.W. Thomas said to my dad. He said, if you don't have anything else to do, find you a nut and a bolt and sit down and screw the nut on the bolt and then screw it back off. But don't you stand there and do nothing. Find yourself something to do if there's nothing but that. Now, see, I disagree with that. That's the same as doing nothing. You can always find something to clean in a body shop. Sweep it. Degrease it. Clean the windows. Go rat hunting. Whatever. You know, find something productive. Don't just do busy work. Don't waste your time doing things that don't matter. Spend your time wisely investing in your future by doing things that will matter. Like... Learning bushcraft and survival skills. I say that funny because it's it's amazing to me how many people just have no interest in that at all. And if North Korea does have a 7,000 mile ICBM and they launched it and it detonated over Nebraska, it would knock out the power grid of virtually all the United States of America if they could get enough elevation on it which would kill, according to FEMA, 90% of our population in the first year. I disagree with that. I think it'd be 90% in about four months. Because how many people do you know that could actually live with, without electricity 
for five or six months. And people don't think it's important. You realize that for 5,500 years, longer actually, 5,800 years, our ancestors lived without electricity. The Amish still do. And there are people all over the world in third world countries who get up every day and make fire with sticks and eat what they gather and get along fine and survive and have for centuries without electricity. But Americans have become so dependent on that light coming on. And when I hit that button, water better come out. And I don't get food from the woods or the river or the lake. I get it from the grocery store. We've become so dependent on complex systems and very difficult and intricate delivery networks and distribution networks that if something shut that down, most people would be completely at a loss of how to survive. They'd want to go somewhere and hope the government would have an emergency situation set up to take care of them. And you go to Atlanta after a situation like that, and your life expectancy is probably two or three hours. That's just the truth. It's going to be absolute chaos. And I don't have any classes I'm trying to promote right now. I'm probably going to try to do one on fire here in a, in a few weeks or so, but I don't have that plan yet. I'm just telling you, it takes patience to learn that stuff. And patience, if you don't have anything else to learn, why not learn how to survive? Why not, why not learn how to, how to catch a fish? Why not learn how to plant a garden? Why not learn, guys, why not learn how to sew up your britches? Boy, it's quiet. No guys are saying, amen. I want to learn how to sew up my britches. Learn something. Learn something that'll benefit you. Don't waste your time doing things that are unproductive. Invest your time wisely. Even when you're waiting for something else that's unrelated, wait. Don't just wait in neutral Make waiting an active, progressive, forward-moving activity that provides you some payback. So patience makes good use of time, even time spent waiting. Next, got two left. Keeping an eternal perspective, and I put that in quotation marks, keeping an eternal perspective helps us deal with the linear time involved in patience. We live in what's known as linear time. There's today, there's tomorrow, there's the next day, that's linear. There's this hour, there's the next hour, there's the next hour. All that is linear time. That's why we have to be patient, because our time is linear and sequential. We do not experience time like God does. God experiences time where He is involved in all times at the same time. That's part of divinity, omnipresence. That doesn't just mean geographical locations. It also means time. He's present everywhere at the same time in all times. So God is already in your future. Think about that. I mean, that's bigger than you really normally think. God won't fit in our boxes. He's too big to fit in that speaker box. So if we keep the eternal perspective, in other words, what am I doing down here on this earth with my life? Don't just think about it in terms of family and friends and money and possessions and stuff because you're not taking any of that with you except the people that you win to Jesus. But all the stuff you work so hard for, the stuff, the, the toys, the cars, the houses, the stuff you like, the golf clubs or whatever, you're, none of that's going. All that's going to stay here. Somebody else is going to get it after you're gone. What's important, though, is that we understand and keep, a, keep our heads about us and keep our wits about us while we're going through the process of life that requires patience. And we remember, I am not a human being having a spiritual experience. 
I am a spirit being who will live eternally having a temporary human experience. That's the eternal perspective. Understand who you are. You are an eternal being having a temporary human experiment, human experience. That's who you are. Keep the eternal perspective. What is the big picture? It really helps when you're, when you're going through something to think about the big picture that your life is part of. What am I part of? What am I investing in? What am I doing with my life? The big picture is something eternal. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean a big ministry or a visible ministry or a big church or a big traveling thing. It means what's real. It means something valuable. Jesus Christ never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never had a church. He never had a bunch of people following him around except for short periods of time, and they only followed until the goodies ran out or he said something too hard for them to accept. The Apostle Paul, if, a, if any church in America could read his resume application for pastor, they would laugh him off the campus. Apostle Paul, tent maker by trade, never have pastored a large church, but have founded a few small home Bible groups, have been arrested several times. I have caused riots in Ephesus and several other cities, have been imprisoned on numerous occasions. They would laugh him out of the church. And yet the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men of the New Testament, one of the first people, first five people I want to meet when I get to heaven is Paul. Talk about the man. He had the equivalent of a Ph.D., I want to go talk to Paul. I want to talk to Elijah. I want to talk to Benaiah. You want to read about somebody. Uh, you want to read about the true warrior. Go read about Benaiah. I want to talk to him. He's the man. So keeping an eternal perspective helps us deal with this stuff called linear time. Think about the big picture. This too shall pass. Think about that. It's whatever you're going through is not going to last forever. There is an end of the tunnel. There is a light. There is a someday. There is a better place and a better time coming your way. Just be patient for now. Patience is always temporary until the payoff comes. Remember that. Patience is always temporary until the payoff comes. And I can prove it. What if I have to be patient my whole life? Well, then that's the end of it. Patience is over. Now you're in heaven, the payoff. Patience is always temporary. Just like healing. All healing is temporary. There is no such thing as permanent healing. You can grow another leg after you've severed the one you had, and it's still temporary, because one day you're going to die. So all healing is temporary. All patience is temporary. Keep the eternal perspective and remember, this too shall pass. There is a great payoff coming. And I'm going to be a participant and a recipient of that great payoff. Lastly, be careful praying and asking God to teach you patience. Be very, very careful. You do not have to ask God to teach you patience. You can simply choose to have it. Now, I want to I spend a minute or two on this because I've heard a lot of Christians pray very foolish prayers. One of the most foolish is, God, teach me patience. God might just hear you say that. Why not rather choose to have patience? But, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, let the Spirit work. Let the Spirit grow that. 
But when you ask God to hem you in, for I've heard people say, God, just hem me in for deliverance. I heard one guy say, oh, God, I want you to crush me in the mortar and pestle of adversity until there's nothing left of me. And I thought to myself, God, don't hear him. He's a foolish man. <laughs> Be careful what you ask of God. He may hear you, and he may say, all right, I'm serious. You don't have to pray for God to teach you patience. You can just decide, you know what? God doesn't have to teach me patience. I'm just going to be patient. I guarantee you this. You wouldn't ask my daddy, R.L. Yarborough, you wouldn't ask him, I want you to teach me patience, but one time. Because he looked at you and raised that eyebrow. He said, why don't you just decide to be patient, son? No, no, I'm too stubborn and self-willed and arrogant and prideful and mean and angry. Before you got the rest of it out, he'd have you by the hair of your heads. And all right, let's go learn patience, you know. Yeah, Daddy would take the woodshed apart and break it up on your backside. He never abused me, but he sure got me within eyesight of it a couple of times. <laughs> I guarantee you. He didn't know how strong he was. He could, he could press 300 pounds on a bathroom scale, pick up a Chevy 350 engine block, and walk off with it. He didn't understand his own strength. And sometimes Dad would... I mean, when Daddy... All these little kids that run away from their parents, uh-uh, uh you didn't do that to my Daddy. He grabbed a hold of you. You've been grabbed, buddy. You ain't going nowhere. You might leave that arm in his hand, but you're going to stay there. He's got that. So... It's a matter of decision. Be careful praying for God to teach you patience. You don't have to do that. You can rather choose from the outset to be patient. Now, if you need patience, the way to get it is to go to the Word of God and begin to do a study of the Scriptures that deal with patience and begin to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to birth in you and let you bear the fruit of patience. But to say, God, force patience on me and through the school of hard knocks, beat it into my head and teach me patience. That's a dangerous prayer. Let me just warn you. That's a dangerous prayer. If you can't learn any other way, hey, go pray it and prepare. Because God's going to teach you patience. <laughs> but it's much better just to choose. What does Proverbs 23, 7 say? I say this all the time. As a man thinks within himself, what? So he, so he is. If you start thinking, you know what? I'm a patient man. Uh, and we, and we, we, we belie. We create our own future by what we say. You start saying, man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so impatient. I just want stuff right now. I hate having to wait. Then you're going to just fuel the fire of impatience and at the same time feed the flesh and the immaturity that goes along with it. Stop saying that about yourself and start saying, you know what? I'm a patient person. Even if you're saying it by faith. But the Bible says God is a God who calls things that are not as though they were. You're not lying. You're just prophesying over the future you. I am a patient person. I am going to be a patient person. I am not going to be impatient. I'm not going to be full of myself. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm not going to be un unwilling. I'm going to be like King David who said, Lord, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Start saying these things over yourself. Start praying these things over yourself. Stop, start quoting and reading these scriptures over yourself. You know, it's, listen, guys, I'm going to close after this. It, it is not how many times you show up at church. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful to God that you're here, and I want you to be here every time the doors are open. I do, with all my heart. But that is not what this is about. It is not about being back there in that booth and pushing buttons and slides and knobs. 
I'm glad for the guys who are back there doing it. Without them, we'd be, we'd be much, much further behind than we are. And we're not, we're, we're on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff, but we'd be in the dark ages if it weren't for those guys. But that's not what it's about. Being up here behind an instrument, framming and playing and tweaking and behind a microphone and singing and, and yea, dare I say it, even standing here and doing what I'm doing, that's really not what all this is about. What all this is about is you and me growing personally into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. This is about us changing and becoming less like we used to be and more like Jesus. This is about us growing. This is about us maturing. This is about us allowing this Word of God to work in us until it produces the likeness of Christ in us. That's what this is about. It's not a church affiliation. It's not making a new bunch of friends. It's not what I do at the church. It's not how many times and the ties and the committees and the group. All that's great and we ought to do all of it. But that's not really at its core what this is about. This is about a personal relationship between you and the man Jesus Christ and you becoming less of you and becoming more more and more and more like him. That is what this whole thing is about. And to understand that in that process, to bring as many people with you into the house of God and get them on that same template of understanding as you possibly can before either the rapture, nuclear war fries us all, or we die. That's what it's all about. So be patient with life. God's got you here for a reason. All the, the, the ambition and the goals and, the, and the, the things you, the dreams you have. That's great, man. Dream them. Hope for them. Aspire to them. But don't you forget, I don't believe God's looking at hardly any of that. I think God's just sitting there looking at you and the inside of your heart and mine. And he's more concerned with how we respond to all the stuff that happens to us en route. Remember the old, the old uh, test that used to come on TV? The, the static? And it would say... Attention, this is a test. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Do not adjust your set. Do not change your dial. This is a test. (laughs) Then it stops. I truly believe that's about 95% of what this life is. It is a test for you and me to prove what we're going to do with Jesus Christ and His Word while we walk through all the scenarios our minds dream up about our future. I think God snickers at us a lot, thinking, you got so much stuff you want to accomplish, you want to do, I don't care about any of that. If I want you to have a 20,000-member church, I can make that happen. I don't care about that. I care about what's going on inside your heart. I think that's right where God is. And I think that's why we spend so much of our time worried and concerned about future things and we ought to be concerned about the Word of God sitting right here in front of us and how we're going to process that. I really, truly do. So, it's 8 o'clock. We're going to open the floor. Well, it's actually 7.58, but we're going to open the floor here for a couple of comments or questions or observations. And uh, so, who's got a comment or an observation or something you'd like to share about patience? Patience.